0: Welcome and welcome to the five- Final episode of Constitution Matters with myself, Dhakira Desai, in our series marking the 20th anniversary of the Constitution of the Republic of South Africa. As a seven-part series, Constitution Matters brings to light a joint venture on Progressive Constitutionalism by the Voice of the Cape Radio, the Students for Law and Social Justice, and the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution. In this episode of Constitution Matters, we discuss Section 16 of the Constitution the freedom of expression and in studio with me is nicholas word smith nikita Reddy, chris todd and uct vice chancellor dr max price we remind our listeners to join in the conversation by whatsapping us on 072 238 0712 or smsing us on 47913 To begin, Nikita, can we start with a brief explanation of Section 16 of the Constitution and what kind of cases will be litigated
1: with regards to this section? Thanks very much. So in brief, as you said, we're looking at Section 16 of the Constitution that deals with the freedom of expression. This provision in the Constitution effectively affords all citizens a right, a constitutionally protected right, to different freedoms of expression that, co- that range from speech, artistic expression, academic freedom, etc. So essentially we have a guaranteed right in the Constitution. What then follows is a limitation on the right that covers certain forms of speech or, free, or, or expression that is expressly excluded from this protection in the Constitution.
0: Now, Nicholas, given the socio-political context within post-apartheid South Africa, what are the constraints of the freedom of speech? I mean, I know that uh, Nikita mentioned the limitations.
2: Well, the most important one that she's talking about is commonly referred to as hate speech. And so the kind of speech that's not protected by by that is um, speech that is either, we wouldn't be surprised, propaganda for war, um, but... Perhaps less um, obvious than that is, uh, well, incitement of imminent violence, but also hatred based on race, ethnicity, gender, or religion, if that constitutes an incitement to cause harm. So those are quite a very it's actually a very small category of speech defined as hate speech. All other speech is protected by the right, and I think that perhaps indicates that the Constitution treats. Uh, the protection of free speech as a very important right.
0: Are there any cases that spring to mind that is indicative of the of what's been happening in South Africa post apartheid with regards to the exercise of the freedom of expression?
2: You know, the most recent thing that there's there's quite a lot been going on. Um, but most recently. Uh, we're in Cape Town, we're not far from UCT, (laughs) we have had uh, uh, students uh, saying things which have been found to fall on either side, actually, of uh, the right to freedom of speech. Um, And they are quite controversial, they're not, you know that in the university climate at the moment, people are out to challenge and push boundaries, and uh, there's been a Supreme Court of Appeal decision saying, if you say, or are seen to be saying, kill all whites, that is, uh, falls within the definition of hate speech, it's not protected speech. Mm-hmm. If on the other hand, you express yourself politically uh, and say, if all whites, that has been found by the Supreme Court of Appeal to fall this side of hate speech because it doesn't involve an incitement to cause harm. So I think that's actually a very recent case very close by that illustrates a, a, an attempt to draw that dividing line between speech that is maybe offensive, is not probably not very uh, um, comfortable for many people but it still enjoys the protection of the constitution and speech which crosses that boundary because it actually uh, may be understood to uh, be an incitement to cause harm
0: i think we'll continue the discussion after our ad breaks i know that it is going to be quite an in-depth discussion especially since uh, dr max price is sitting with us so we will continue after this break assalamu alaikum and we'll be back soon with constitution matters Welcome back to Constitution Matters. I'm your host, Dakira Desai, and joining me in studio is Nicholas Hood-Smith, Nikita Reddy, Chris Todd, and UCT Vice-Chancellor, Dr. Max Price. In this episode of Constitution Matters, we discuss freedom of expression. If you have any concerns or questions on the Constitution, please WhatsApp us on 072-238-0712 or SMS us on 47913. Before the break, we unpacked the definition of the freedom of expression, and now we proceed by focusing on safe spaces. Chris, given the social-political context within South Africa, in recent years there has been broader discussion around the need for safe spaces with regards to the freedom of expression. What is meant by this notion of safe spaces?
2: I think there's... Two main ways in which it's referred to. I think most. The first is not very controversial. Most people would agree that uh, pe- citizens, students, members of the public should be safe from physical harm. So we would generally accept that uh, anybody in any community should be reasonably uh, protected from any kind of physical assault or affront to them. The more difficult one is to what extent you can protect people from ideas that they might find hurtful uh, or which with which they might disagree very strongly. I think maybe again we can say the easy one is you can't really ask to be protected from views that you disagree with. Uh, the most difficult one is can you ask to be protected and ask for an area in which you are not confronted by ideas, views, opinions that are hurtful to you in a subjective mm. way that you feel personally hurtful and that is something which I think many campuses, open societies are finding quite difficult to grapple with at the moment.
0: Nicholas, if you could come into the conversation, are safe spaces in any public academic space an imposition on the constitutional right to freedom of expression and if so, is this imposition justified by section 16 of the constitution?
3: Okay, so now I, uh, My background is not law so I can't say from a side of mm. the constitution but I can say from the philosophy of freedom of speech, where that safe spaces, there is a compromise where safe spaces can be allowed, but they have to be extremely limited. There is nothing wrong with having a room on a campus in which people can have quiet time, so to speak. But when it comes to lectures, when it comes to tutorials, and when it comes to the intellectual space on campus, there is no justification for shutting down debate unless it is actual hate speech. The reason being that free speech is a practical benefit, not for the speaker, but for all the listeners who need to be engaged with these other ideas so they can develop their own ideas, find new ones which perhaps may be better than their own, or reinforce the ideas that they currently have. The problem with safe spaces, especially safe spaces that are imposed on lecture venues is that it shuts down this discourse, so people cannot discover new ideas, and when people cannot discover new ideas, we have a stagnation, and there cannot be a prog- progress in any field if people are too afraid to be challenged interle- intellectually
0: now Dr. Price, I know that you are eagerly waiting to comment just before you comment on the previous uh, on Nicholas has commented, we know that UCT has begun a third series of workshops unpacking the issue of transformation within the law faculty and specifically focusing on the call for decolonisation. Do you consider this a safe and neutral space for discussion?
4: Well, I do, although I don't think that's where the problem of safe space or free mm. speech occurs. In other words, <coughs> I think the debates about curriculum reform and about decolonization, uh, they may be controversial, there may be strong disagreement, but I don't think that many people take offense at the views expressed and therefore they wouldn't worry or they wouldn't claim this is not a safe space. Um, If I may come back to the the earlier comments um, and if you want we can pick this up. um, Thakira. but the uh, Chris identified two kinds of safe space one being the sort of physical safety uh, we all agree the second being uh, the the, sp- the space which where one might take offense or one might be hurt through views expressed um, and the question is should we be cr- um, uh, should those spaces be safe in other words do you have a right not to be offended um, if you're going into a lecture or if you're walking through the campus do you have a right not to be offended by a poster that's on a wall. And does the space become unsafe? And I would agree with the previous speakers that I don't think there is such a right, and therefore I think we have to be very careful about uh, demanding safe spaces in those sorts of um, places where debate needs to happen and where the contestation of ideas uh, is, is what drives academia, what drives new ideas and, and it's about persuasion. But I think there's a third kind of safe space which uh, I do think is justified and it's the safe space which people sometimes ask when they look for um, a, a an exclusive space. So for example uh, a group of black students or staff might create a society um, which or, or, or a group of rape survivors might form a society where they only want people who have shared a certain experience, to be part of that uh, community or that, that that interaction, and they want. And the reason they want that is because they say they want a safe space. So that kind of safe space is a space where people need to know that they can share views or talk about experiences and won't be ridiculed or mocked, or they'll be in a supportive environment where people understand what that what 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 they're talking about. If you have um and 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 for many many decades, and even now the the women 's movement the feminist movement created uh, organizations which they said were exclusively uh women and feminist well w- women's because they wanted to share experiences and or they do currently want to share experiences which they feel they not free to talk about in the environment or uh, in in certain environments so Black students, some black students coming, for example, to UCT, um, come into come from one environment where they may have been very successful at uh, let's say a rural school, top of the class, never failed an exam, um, gets into UCT, hero of the village, comes to UCT, and suddenly is finding that they. He or she can't understand the lecture because it's an, they've never been taught by someone who's first language English speaking. Uh, find they can't keep up with the le- the notes. Find that they may be failing the first exam b- because the culture and the environment is different. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. Um, for that person, it may be that uh, to be able to talk about what's happening to their self esteem and the need to what, and how they feel about coping or not coping could be very difficult in a in an open environment where. Um, which, which is the cause, the source of that discomfort. Creating a safe space for those students, um, or allowing them to do so, even if it's exclusivist, I think has a place. So there are, is some space for safe spaces. In many parts of the world, um, especially in, in, in Europe and, and in America, part of the debate we're talking about is, is, is around um, what's called trigger warnings. And If I may just have another minute or two to say what, what that's about. That comes from a from from an analysis by psychologists, particularly um, around post-traumatic stress disorder. As someone who's been exposed to a really traumatic experience, such as a rape, who has been raped uh, or has been um, exposed to uh, traumatic discrimination um, or violence, uh, may have, especially if that's been repeated. May find that the that that reexposure to that experience triggers a a, a recurrence of all of the fear, anxiety, a panic attack, a uh, sort of meltdown. And there's a, an argument that people should be protected from being exposed to those triggers. And since we don't know, for example, in a classroom, who might have been raped or molested by. A close family member or sexually harassed. Uh, there's and the an experience was reportedly that uh, when someone was in in the course of a lecture or a classroom exposed to a very graphic or vivid description of a rape scene, um, that could trigger. These experiences Mm -hmm. and so the trigger warning movement in a sense comes from uh, saying classrooms need to be safe we need to be able to say to students if this if if we're going to expose you to this we're going to alert you to the fact beforehand and so in some universities and some there's a a requirement that lecturers should give a trigger Mm -hmm. warning they should warn the students that this is going to be about rape and it's going to be graphic and if this is going to uh, trigger a reaction for you you're free Mm -hmm. to leave it's not to say you can't discuss those spaces and those things in the class
0: we actually have a question that has uh, come from 7018 uh, and it's regarding this issue of trigger warnings the person says if you're in a class and your lecturer says something that triggers you emotionally psychologically or intellectually to the point that you can't engage so you can gain from the practical nature of freedom of expression, is this fair on the student?
4: So that's exactly uh, the, the argument for trigger warnings. And uh, there could be two. The, that student or that, that, that person is actually suggesting that there should be no reference to that trigger because that somehow will prevent the person from learning or prevent them from participating in the mm. in the class. My view, and I think the more dominant view, is that We don't want to censor any of that, because that would be a more serious um, constraint on free speech and free thought, but we do want to, we might want to alert the person so they have the option of removing themselves from that space and it becomes a safe space in that sense. Now let me say that it's very controversial because as people would say, where do you start and where do you stop? With such a thing, people have had so many different traumatic experiences, um, and in the end, you would be uh, alerting students to ev- in every class to every mm-hmm. item of a lecture. And I think that when there are places, there, there's a place in some situations for trigger warnings, but by and large, I think that we need to um, uh, we should we, that it's not we don't require that in South Africa. We don't require it at UCT, and I don't think that there's enough um, justification for it in our context.
0: There has been some discussion at UCT, especially with regards to the Fees Must Fall uh, protest, where there were a number of students who said they do not support the Fees Must Fall movement. Why are they being exposed to the protest? Um, would you like to weigh in, Chris, to say is that a, 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 fair, a fair sentiment to have if this is an issue which we know uh, deserves that space in which it should be discussed?
2: I mean, I think it probably is very important to distinguish between um, a conversation being exposed to or confronted with a conversation or ideas that you don't agree with. And I'm afraid I've not got that much sympathy with people complaining about being exposed or challenged with ideas. Maybe the the different uh, issue that arises there is, can you be exposed in the sense that your life is disrupted by uh, people who feel strongly enough to protest, actually interrupting and preventing learning from happening um, because that's how strongly they feel. And I think that is, I'm not surprised that there would have been many students um, who in the course of, of lectures that are disrupted or prevented from happening that they would feel upset about that. They would say, they might say what Nicholas has just referred to. Tell me what you think so that we can engage. I mean, that might be a little bit uh, naive when you consider the heat uh, that su- many people feel about about some of the issues that were at stake there. But maybe I can just say uh, one thing in uh, in uh, dealing with what um, in response to what Max says, there's, there's, I, I said earlier that hate speech um, is very limited in the Constitution to things where which involve the actual incitement of violence or physical harm. We've got a separate piece of legislation called the Equality Act, which has got a much softer definition of hate speech. And it doesn't criminalize it, but it makes it unlawful, lawyers might say, actionable. And that is speech which is intended to cause hurt or harm, much softer, not intended to incite violence, but intended to cause hurt or harm. And I think there, I think that students uh, and others might well say, I don't want to walk around and be confronted by people who are actually trying to cause me um, harm or hurt. But I think so there I think there is a is a case for saying we we don't want that kind of speech around. On the other hand, uh, when it comes to the safe spaces argument, when you consider you have a lecture theater with five or six hundred people in it, if you take law faculty as an example, most of what is talked about in a all lecture would be highly unlikely to yeah. trigger any kind of confrontation, and I think it's a bit, maybe if you if it, if that's don't mind me saying so, but too precious mm. to say. I want to sit in a lecture theatre with three hundred people and not be bothered at all by anybody's uh, ideas and make sure that I don't get um, made uncomfortable.
0: I think we can do, we can continue that discussion when we come back after the sets. <laughs> Welcome back to Constitution Matters. I'm your host, Naki Desai, and joining me in studio is Nicholas Hood Smith, Nikita Reddy, Chris Todd, and UCT Chancellor Dr. Max Price. In this episode of Constitution Matters, we discuss freedom of expression. If you have any concerns or questions on the Constitution, WhatsApp us on 072. 072- 2380712 or SMS us on 47913. Now, before the break, we were discussing the issue of safe spaces. Dr. Price, the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights, Article 19, which in many ways the cons- our Constitution draws from, states that everyone has the right of opinion and expression. This right includes freedom to hold opinions without interference. And to seek, receive, and impart information and ideas, do you feel that UCT has created ample space for this, especially with regards to the FISMAS four protests? We know that, and especially with regards to the decolonization question, has UCT provided ample space for safe discussion?
4: Yes, I, th- I think so. Um, perhaps, perhaps you're making reference to. So, the, the, the idea of, of safe spaces and, and trigger warnings is generally a critique um, leveled against a majority by minority groups who feel that um, their, their concerns, their views, are not adequately taken into account, and they are offended often by the dominant uh, view or things that are said, and so the safe space argument is is a way of protecting them and we've talked about why we don't think that that's appropriate, especially at a a university. I think you may be referring to um, a climate which uh, which has developed at the university and in many universities that um, people are very quick to label an argument as racist when one disagrees with it. uh, if It uh, actually can be from both sides. And no one wants to be called racist and uh, there's uh, and so and you using that argument as a way of closing down argument creates a sort of chilling effect on the debates more generally so then you might say is there f- is it there for a safe space or is it does that freedom uh, exist then to have debates uh, and 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 ex- ex- express one's views and I think there is a concern that um, the racialization especially and the polarization of the debates along racial lines. Um, has made it has made it more difficult particularly I think for whites to mm-hmm. speak out uh, or to express their views because so that's part of it and then it's linked to the, the rise again globally but in South Africa we've seen it of identity politics of a view that says if you haven't had my experience if you haven't been disabled you can't know what it means to, to be disabled you can never had my experience then you have nothing then you can't speak on my behalf not only can't you speak on my behalf you've actually got nothing to say mm-hmm. about about disability and only my experience counts only the experience of of a rape survivor counts when she is talking about rape only the experience of a LGBTI person counts when they're talking about discrimination against let's say intersex people and um, that view, in my v- view, closes down debate again. It says that there isn't space, it removes the space for rational debate. If you say only my experience counts and nothing else, then two people with different experiences can't actually engage, they can't meet. And so that UN st- uh, position that says everyone has the right to have their op- opinions, that isn't infringed upon, but the right to express your opinion freely and to and particularly in the academic environment to try to persuade mm-hmm. someone else that can be seriously compromised by this idea that only experience matters. So I don't accept that. I think there's certain things where experience puts you in a position, it's often referred to as positionality, one needs to recognise one's position, recognise why one's experience is different from others. But I think that that should never be used to say the debate can't happen.
0: Nicholas, Dr. Price has mentioned this issue of the silencing of whites, the white freedom of expression within South Africa in terms of your white South Africans who feel that they they don't have that space any longer to voice their opinions because the so-called non-white South Africans tend to silence them when they do raise issues that affect white communities. As a white South African, young white South African, do you feel the same?
3: Now, um, as Dr. Price mentioned, it's a minority who's p- pushing for this. And I have been accused of being racist without any substantiation. I've been called a fascist, even though that's the complete opposite <laughs> of the views that I support. I've also been accused that of not taking account of positionality, and thus I should keep silent. But the difference maybe between myself and quite a few other people is that I don't stop talking after that. So, for instance, at a politics tutorial at, at, uh, up at UCT. And this is the only case where I have been asked to stop speaking by another student. I've been quite fortunate that I haven't been shut down in person that, um, that much. And I was asked to stop speaking about a particular issue because of positionality. And it, now the actual issue we were discussing, not to go into huge detail, there was there's no actual any way that you can think about it having anything to do with positionality. It was very metaphysical. It was nothing that could be construed as racial or classist. So then I just didn't acknowledge the interruption. But I know that there's a lot of people. So I uh, run a student society at UCT called Students for Liberty, and a lot of our members do keep silent. And this isn't only white students. This is students from all manner of race groups. And uh, uh, actually, I find that the the demographic that seems to be the most silenced are black liberals because they see they've, I have a lot of black liberal friends who have actually been accused of being race traitors because they have this idea of individual liberty and freedom of speech and a support of free markets things which are seen as counter-revolutionary so as a white male I see a lot of this propaganda or rhetoric which is being leveled against me I don't really care for more, because I know that I can, I have a family that I can still go to and settle in mm-hmm. and belong. But I know the law of my colleagues; they don't have that, and they don't have the support structures mm-hmm. that they can't speak out and they can't be honest about their own political views because they will become pariahs in their own community.
0: Nikita, just to move the conversation. With regards to safe spaces, we know that religious is a sort of a contentious issue in many circles. In July 2016, UCT issued a statement regarding the cancellation of the Davi Memorial Lecture by Mr. Rose Fleming, who in 2005 solicited and published a series of cartoons depicting the Prophet Muhammad and within the Islamic religion that is, that is seen as blasphemous. Do you think there is a danger when you transform public academic theatres into
1: so-called safe spaces? Hmm, I th- you know, it's a very difficult question in the context specifically of university where you're trying to facilitate ideas, freedom of expression in general. Um, and I think that's the thing that we've been grappling with throughout the show whether it's appropriate to actually try and create these safe spaces I think the basic proposition is that the right to freedom of expression wherever it comes into play and wherever it's applicable um, at its heart is actually one to protect expression but on the same at the same time to protect other people's rights so I think that to the extent that any form of expression may really be seeking to impair the dignity of others or really infringe on core constitutional rights, then there might be more space and a better chance of opening up that debate, of creating a safe space. Dr Price, I know you would like to weigh in on this. Uh, Please go ahead.
4: Well, I was thinking Nikita didn't answer the question. <laughs> <laughs> and I hope she would. <laughs> on my behalf. I was um, leaving it
1: open for you. <laughs>
4: um, Fleming Rose, as you say, uh, is, a very, is a very controversial figure. He has many people who think he is a hero of free speech. And that's partly because of all of the areas where one might want to um, consider limitations on freedom of speech, probably... Uh, criticizing religion or religious symbols and religious beliefs is the most sensitive um, so that even people who feel strongly about free speech will sometimes say that there are certain areas you don't go and and um, publishing cartoons of, of the Prophet is an example of that and there are there are others as well um, and so, uh, but he is a he is a protagonist of saying that re, you know religion should, is is fair game and religious symbols are fair game for satire mm-hmm. for political satire. So he has uh, people who undoubtedly uh, support him, um, but there are also many who think that uh, he's not so pure in a way that he's uh, he's more selective that his politics are uh, such that uh, he, he has a. A bias against um, Muslims, or that, he, that his actions promote Islamophobia. Um, uh, my, my view, and I think that the Academic Freedom Committee's view, which was the committee that wanted to host him, was that a, a university should be a place where that debate can happen and where we can have someone like Fleming Rose and where we can have counter-debates and people to, uh, and rather than not hearing him, hear him and answer and respond. Um, we with, we withdrew the invitation because, not because we didn't think we should uh, that his views should be heard, but because we had a real expectation that there would be a whole lot of violence around his visit. It was a very tense time on the campus from other forms of protest as well. Um, there was there would be an alliance across many different groups that would be opposed to his, him coming because he represents a number of things. But just to mm. to
0: <coughs> weigh in when the statement was released i know there were a number of commentators who who thought that the statement basically said that muslims are by nature violent because it said that you know we are one of the reasons was it would, the, the reasons range from the fear of provoking violence on campus to the fear that proceeding with the lecture may do more harm than good for the advancement of academic freedom do you think that that was a wise sentiment if you want to speak about the freedom of expression um, was that not impeding on the right to so-called dignity of the broader muslim community who I, i know there were a number of commentators on social media who thought but we are not but muslims are not violent by nature why are they citing violence as the reason for impending violence for the reason for not allowing him to visit uct and speak
4: I think you'll find if you go through the statement that there's no reference to Muslims being violent and the violence and the reference to the threat of violence was not a reference to Mm. Muslims being violent so I don't think that that was there and uh, although there are Muslims on on campus the majority of students that have led and been part of the protests have not been violent but they would certainly have been I think uh, the students who would have participated in Preventing the lecture from taking place and in disrupting it, mm-hmm. and so, um, so I think that uh, I understand why why people might uh, see it that way, but it is it is nevertheless that that was for us the key concern. Um, it was not other concerns. It was concern about safety, yeah. and and yeah,
0: Chris. In the last 30 seconds, I know that we have run out of time quite quickly, but we know there's an issue and uncomfortableness when we speak about race in South Africa. When we speak about even religion, what is uh, what does the Constitution say with regards to discussing these issues and having that freedom of expression? If you want to talk about whether or not race exists, and there are people within earshot who may be offended by that, do you still have that freedom of expression if you are impeding or or encroaching on their space for not wanting to be politically active?
2: Yes, I must say, I don't think that people have a right to be to not hear difficult conversations about race, whether it does or doesn't exist, or even about religion. And in fact, none of our law gives religion the special um, categorization that Max has mentioned. I think he's talking about in practice it does have that deep sensitivity and it causes strong reactions. But I think in a society like ours, we have to get used to difficult conversations and in fact we have to have them mm. if we're going to uh, um, to resolve uh, many of the yeah. societal issues.
0: And uh, that's a wrap of an interesting series of Constitution Matters. Thank you to my guests Nicholas Hood-Smith, Nikita Reddy, Chris Todd and UCT Vice-Chancellor, Dr Max Price and a special thank you to the National Body of the Students for Law and Social Justice, the Council for the Advancement of the South African Constitution as well as our technician Abida Dixon. You are listening to Constitution matters with myself, Zakir Adesai. Assalamu alaikum and good evening.